Hello, welcome to another episode of SG Explained. My name is Rovek. Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm gonna sneeze. Uh, wait, one sec. <laughs> okay, I'm. Was that good. was that your sneeze? <laughs> no, I was holding it in for the longest time. It it felt it felt weird, but yeah, okay, we're back on track. <laughs> I'm wondering if I should keep that in the actual episode. Maybe sure, I'm... man. Hey, do do whatever you want. You're the one that's mostly editing this thing, so. <laughs> Yeah, welcome, welcome to today's episode. We are actually going to be tackling something quite interesting. Actually, every episode is interesting. I don't know why I say that. Uh, but but this is especially relevant because Singapore Airlines has recently announced its losses, its first losses in a long time. And a lot of people have been asking, is this the start of the fall of Singapore Airlines? I personally don't think so. I think the Singapore government has made it a commitment to keep Singapore Airlines alive. But I was also curious in explaining and describing why Singapore Airlines is important to our identity as Singaporeans. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I have a, I'm a big crush on all the SQ stewardesses. So, yeah. The Singapore yes. girls. Yeah, 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 dude. It's important. It was part of my childhood and I guess it will never leave me. So... I'm I'm all for keeping SQ alive. <laughs> well, yeah. So Singapore Airlines in general has a very intertwined history of Singapore. In fact, it's our national air carrier, right? And yeah. across the world, every country is proud of its major national air carrier for a number of reasons. First of all, it plays the big role of providing connectivity between that country and any other part of the world, a national air carrier is obligated to have its home base in your country. So Singapore Airlines would not be able to start moving its base from Singapore to, I don't know, Japan or something. That would be super weird and, and not useful at all. But it does create that opportunity for Singaporeans to travel, which is something you and I have appreciated a lot, Elliot. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. most definitely. Every time I get a flight SQ, I'm like super excited. You know, one of the things that I feel like national carriers are super important is that, I don't know about you, but all the people I, I hang out with, you know how they will judge a country based on its airline? <laughs> like it's super, it's it's a thing, right? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes the face. It's like, oh man, Singaporeans are so dope because like, look at the SQ girls. They're, all, they're like super friendly in the skies. It's your first impression. You're taking a flight from uh, your home country to their country on their airline. Like that's, uh, that's your introduction, your first impression. Yeah, Singapore Airlines is essentially an ambassador for Singapore. Heck yeah. Wherever it goes. Let's talk about Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines is based at Changi Airport in Singapore. It's the flag carrier of the Republic of Singapore and it's constantly ranked amongst the top 15 air carriers worldwide in terms of both scale of revenue passengers uh, kilometers as well as volume of international passengers carried. It is also one of the largest airline businesses in Asia. And in fact, it started all the way in 1947, so pre-independent Singapore, 1947, with the incorporation of Malayan Airways Limited. So Malayan Airways Limited was incorporated by a number of different companies, Ocean Steamship Company, Straits Steamship Company, and Imperial Airways. Malayan Airways' first flight was a chartered flight from the British Straits Settlement of Singapore. So again, this is before the Republic of Singapore was a thing, to Kuala Lumpur on 2nd of April, 1947 using an airspeed console twin-engine aircraft. Um, Elliot, one of the things that I, I, I thought was very interesting about doing the research for this was that there were so many different kinds of aircraft that was being mentioned. And I'm not an aircraft geek. I know there are a lot of people who are, but I, just, I was just learning so much about how aircraft engineering has evolved over time. It's fascinating. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about aircrafts, dude. I've played a couple of games that involve, you know, flying stuff like Battlefield. But that's as far as my knowledge of uh, aircrafts go. I know uh, you bought a plane, it flaps its wings, and then you end up in another country. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I'm not even sure how much flapping happens. It's probably more like What? Flying. But yeah, yeah, I think that that's awesome. For these so, guys, they had a re- regularly weekly scheduled flights that quickly followed from like Singapore to KL. You know, so basically within at that point in time, Malaya. So we had Singapore to KL, Ipoh, Penang, all with the same aircraft type. Yeah, and the airline continued to expand during the rest of the 1940s and 50s as other British Commonwealth airlines. Um, so famously you might know like Qantas Empire Airways back in the day uh, they provide technical assistance as well as assistance in joining the IATA the International Air Transport Association yeah. yes mm-hmm. so that's the global body that oversees air travel so being able to join the IATA and be recognized by it was a big thing you know this was again when the British were involved and this was Malayan Airways when the merger happened, so the famous merger in 1963, where Malaya, Singapore, Sabah, and Sarawak formed the Federation of Malaysia. The airline's name was also correspondingly changed from Malayan Airways to Malaysian Airways. Yeah. So they took over Borneo Airways, and this was running for a good three years. But then, as we all know, Singapore separated from the Federation. And no so way. rather than... Yeah, well, <laughs> rather than to split the airlines just yet, they just changed the name to Malaysia Singapore Airlines. So the airlines itself actually continued for a while as a combined national carrier for both Malaysia and Singapore, which is super interesting. Beyond that, as the airline's fleet and routes expanded over the next few years, in 1972, so this is a good six years after the renaming to Malaysia Singapore Airlines, Singapore said, we want to develop our routes internationally. But Malaysia said, we want to develop only our domestic routes before going on the international routes. Which makes sense because Singapore is such a small country, there's no such thing as domestic. Uh, and they were Singapore back then was already trying to be a global uh, city. We were trying to build our network globally. And so international crazy, routes... Right? Do you think it would be crazy if we had domestic routes? Like, if I could just fly from here to Woodlands, for example, like from Kemangan. Well, that would be the biggest waste of money, I feel. I <laughs> yeah, but also I think the Malaysia side of the company was probably looking at domestic in the terms of, you know, Singapore to unaccessed parts of Malaysia. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally could see that. From Singapore's perspective, the business value probably wasn't as strong because they would much prefer to get access to places in Europe, places in the US, rather than to just keep building a regional network. So what happened was that in 1972, they split up, which formed Singapore Airlines and Malaysian Airlines, MAS. Essentially, Singapore Airlines' history has a twofold starting point. The first is, of course, the true starting point, which was all the way in 1947 with Malayan Airways Limited, but Singapore Airlines in name only started in 1972 with the separation. So Singapore Airlines actually is in itself product of the merger as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's crazy to think about it, right? That we came together, we built something and it was like, now we're good. And then separation happened and ta-da, SQ was born from the ashes of Singapore's history. There were different priorities and 
we just agreed to part ways, you know? Easy, yeah. <laughs> As the expansion was happening pre-separation, actually, there was a lot of purchase of Boeing 707s, Boeing 737s, and Singapore managed to keep all of those 707s and 737s. They retained the international routes that already were happening, and they got... The former Joint Chief of MSA as his first chairperson. So this was J.Y. Pillay, who was the first chairperson of Singapore Airlines. Right, right, right. Okay, interesting. How old do you think the Singapore Girls concept is? Well, it has it has to be slightly old. From personal knowledge, I understand them. My mom used to be an SQ girl. <laughs> Before she became I didn't know that. My mom was an SQ girl. Of course, like, hey, where do you think I got my good-looking jeans from, bro? Does uh, she still have the costume? No, no, no. She, she only flew for, I think, four years. And this was way before I was born, minimally in the 80s. Well, it started actually in 1968. 68? So in 1968, it was first introduced. And even after the separation, the Singapore Airlines, as they would continued to wear the Sarong Kabaya uniform. Yeah, and actually, it was a local startup ad company that was given the rights to market the airlines. And they actually doubled down on the Sarong and Kabaya clad as they would as an icon of the airline. So this ad campaign actually gave the term Singapore girls to the air stewardesses Dope. which was Smart. you know the start of one of Singapore Airlines' major icons okay there's some there's some madman level like marketing <laughs> That's some madman level marketing. It's like, nah, we ain't we ain't here about the planes. We ain't here about the food. The service, right? Service. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, <laughs> like they put the icon as the girl, dude. They didn't they didn't make a service icon. They really wanted to humanize Singapore Airlines. Yeah, right? I, I think that's I think that was a really smart. And you know what's the crazy part that so the ad agency uh Beatty ads? This was a mm-hmm. local startup advertising company. So, yeah, local startups, man. That's this way yeah, Singaporeans are hustlers through and through. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The next few years after this, after separation, was actually major expansion. And I think this is where Singapore Airlines actually built a lot of its reputation. We tend to just take it for granted that Singapore Airlines is where it is right now. Uh, SA expanded almost overnight after the split from uh, the Malaysian Singapore Airlines in 1972. So uh, one of the priorities is that we added cities uh, in the Indian subcontinent in Asia. And we also started buying our new planes, so 727s. 747s and the Douglas DC-10. The first two 747s arrived in the middle of the year, 1973, and were deployed on the lucrative Singapore, Hong Kong, Taipei, Tokyo, and the point was Haneda Airport run. So as additional 747-200s arrived, they were placed on routes to London, Paris, Rome, Australia, and the long-cherished USA with service to, to LA. The 1980s saw expanded services then to most of United States, Canada, and more European countries, with Madrid becoming the first Hispanic city to be served by SQ. Now, after which, and this is, this gets crazier, uh, the Boeing 747-300s, so the later models, were leased and introduced into the SIA fleet in the early 1980s and named the Big Tops. I love how we just give names to these things, the Big Top. It's a whole culture, actually, in the aircraft hobby scene mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people just yep. give nicknames to all the aircraft. It's like, you know, when you're a kid, you will name your, your toys things as well, right? I, apparently, when you grow up into an adult and do actual big business with millions of dollars, you still have this impulse to name uh, toys that you buy. The 747-300s replaced the 747-200, obviously, on all the trans-Pacific routes as well as the prime European destinations. This, in turn, actually is very important because it just means that we were trying to maximize our service every single time, right? These are the major cities we're going we're going for. So we only put like the latest models for people to sit in. Uh, yeah, I'm sure our listeners who are bigger aircraft fans would 
love some of this information, but actually a simple way to look at it is that there was a constant upgrade of our fleet, both in terms of capacity. So sometimes they would buy larger capacity planes for for long haul flights, for example, Mm -hmm. in terms of comfort, because some of these new aircraft definitely had features that made it a lot more comfortable in terms of ventilation, in terms of movement. So, So there was a lot of consistent effort by Singapore Airlines to always upgrade its fleet. And that's dope. And like that's just that's just like good service like in general. They knew that they had to make an impression and they just went all out. That's you can't fault anyone for that. In the 1990s, the A310s became the regional workhorse of the fleet, meaning that these were the aircraft that were really just being used in any flight within Asia. And over time, Singapore Airlines just kept adding more aircraft. I think, you know, rather than go through everyone, we'll just say there were the B747-400s and then the Airbus A340-300s. We got more long-range routes to Spain, Zurich, Copenhagen, San Francisco, and there was a lot more going on. In fact, one of the iconic milestones was being able to add Johannesburg in South Africa and then later on Cape Town and Durban to our list of destinations. So 1990s also saw opening of Terminal 2 in Changi Airport, which uh, SQ kind of just dominated in in the 1990s. All flight operations from SQ moved to Terminal 2 in in Changi. So it's it's, it's a thing, right? Like if you think about if you think about currently how our airport is structured as well, like SQ always gets the nice the nice terminals. Like everything is is top class service. That's the perks of the flex being Singaporean. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best flex. So I kind of wanted to take a detour of sorts because a lot of people know the name brand Singapore Airlines, but actually Singapore Airlines is a group as well. And one of the other airlines under Singapore Airlines is Silcair. Sometimes when you're booking flights in Singapore to places in the region, actually, they may give you a Silcair flight rather than a Singapore Airlines flight. Mm-hmm. And that's actually because Silcair has become Singapore Airlines' airline option for regional flights. Mm-hmm. So in essence, when you fly anywhere within the region, you're likely to just take Silcair instead. It started off as an air charter company called Tradewind Charters in 1975 and I was serving leisure destinations using planes predominantly leased from Singapore Airlines. So this included places like Pattaya, Phuket, Hatya and Kuantan from Changi International and then it actually also had a flight to Tioman from Salita Airport. But as the, <laughs> yeah, uh, as the carrier matured, it also started facilitating business travel. So Jakarta, Phnom Penh, Yangon were added to its network. And Singapore actually became a very iconic airline for business travel in the region. So not just for Singaporeans, but actually for almost anyone else as well. Yeah, and this was all as Tradewinds Charters. But then starting in 1991 and then culminating in 1992, the airlines took on the present name of Silk Air and its logo as a new corporate identity. And then, of course, it just became part of the Singapore Airlines brand. It was the first Asian carrier to offer handheld, portable, video-on-demand entertainment uh, available to flights in selected countries. What I find very interesting is that actually, uh, one thing that SQ has done really well is actually, you know, the forming of uh, the Star Alliance. Have you heard of the Star Alliance? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Star Alliance. I think that's one of the coolest things where we actually have partners from all across the world. Not all the big players, which they don't really need to, but enough friends sometimes 
I've had flights uh, from SQ cancel and they just rebooked me on, uh, let's say I was in Japan and I had a, my flight cancel one because of the, the monsoon season. Uh, they just booked me on ANA like the following week and it was it was really easy. No, no, it was fast free. And I had, you know, the best time of my life. Like it was, it was easy. Yeah. So SoCare is focused on regional air travel. Scoot is focused on low cost air travel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk about Scoot a bit later on. It started actually only in 2012. Yep. But, you know, while we're, while we're on this topic, so the SoCare, the Scoot, Singapore Airlines has an investment in Vistara, which is a joint venture between Tata, Suns and Singapore Airlines that looks at a lot of South Asian travel, so within India most of the time. Okay, that's uh, very interesting, yeah. Yeah, there is this uh, joint venture called Nox Scoot, N-O-K Scoot, which is a joint venture between Scoot and Nock Air to establish a new carrier in Bangkok. Again, looking at you know regional travel out of Bangkok. Uh, and then finally, there is non not related to air travel itself, but there is SI Engineering Company, which basically looks at repair, overhaul, and maintenance services for not just the SI fleet, but also any other carrier fleet that wants uh, right. you know, a competitive MRO service. And then finally, there is Singapore Airlines Cargo. So this is looking at cargo transport across. Because once you have a fleet that is doing cross-border travel anyway, you might as well start doing cargo transport spot as well so yeah SIA in general has has a major group of companies that it manages it it really is trying to diversify the parent company of SIA is Tomasic Holdings with with 56 percent and it is traded on the SGX so this is a public company that really uh, allows anyone to invest into it yeah a lot of this is it just speaks to the maturity of Singapore Airlines as a complex and just a very well established company that's that's excellent to hear so that's a bit more about Singapore Airlines as a, as a group company and then Silcare as one of the subsidiaries but let's talk about some of the feats and achievements that Singapore Airlines did one of which is definitely the longest flight in the world. Currently, we are known to have the longest flight between Singapore and Newark. But actually, what people don't know is that all the way in 2004, Singapore was already a pioneer in having the first non-stop air service between Singapore and the USA. I mean, we set we set this record back in 2004, right? So when we started beginning uh, the non-stop trans-Pacific flights from Singapore to LA and then to Newark, which is in New Jersey, uh, this flight was on the Airbus A340-500 series. And uh, these flights marked the first non-stop air service between Singapore and the US. So right from the get-go, Okay, we're like, we're going to go a non-stop flight. Everyone's like, okay, very cool. Um, but yeah, we also want to do it as the longest flight in the world. Everyone's like, no way. Uh, and so the Singapore to New York flight held the record for the longest scheduled commercial flight with a flying time about 18 and a half hours. Uh, SQ has converted its five Airbus uh, aircrafts from a 64 business class, 117 premium economy configuration to a 100 seat all business class configuration for its routes to Newark and Los Angeles. That that says a lot, actually, right? I think part of it was also recognizing that people want comfort on such a long flight. Oh. So I know, I personally know people who fly business class, but actually are not planning to do any business of sorts. Wow. Right? That's uh, a good life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These are people who just have, you know, a thick wallet on hand, but. 
it, it was really targeting that class of customers. So not necessarily just business travelers. I think that's definitely one target audience, but just people who were willing to spend for that comfort. Oh, no wonder I don't know anything about this. I only know the broke life, dude. Like... <laughs> I fly Scoot we'll all the there. time. <laughs> yeah, once yeah. we get to Scoot, then you can you can you can uh, see my my perspective. Um, but the airline announced that it will end its direct flights from Singapore to both New York and uh, LA from twenty third November two thousand thirteen. So Singapore to LA and Singapore to New York were both actually restarted later on. Oh. And I think this this speaks to the trend back then, right? Singapore Airlines was definitely too advanced for its time. It it had the technology, it had the capacity, but the global market back then wasn't as mature. People weren't traveling as much. The capacity that they had planned for wasn't being met. And so they just couldn't justify the long haul travel at that point. But actually, as of last year, that air route was actually still pretty well used pre-COVID-19. And it's it, it's kind of sucks that just as they were able to, to bring back that route and get people on board, this had to hit. With, with COVID-19. Mm, okay, okay. I mean, it wasn't all just happy stories. There were definitely some challenges along the way. For example, in January of 2009, SIA had to take the decision to stop its thrice weekly flights to Vancouver because of the global financial crisis that had sapped demand on the route. And in 2006, actually, the government of Australia decided to not allow Singapore Airlines to fly from Australia to the US, even though the SIA had argued that trans-Pacific flights from Australia were under capacity, meaning that there were there was more demand than capacity, which meant that actually the the prices of of, of travel from Australia was extremely high. SIA had seen that there was an opportunity to come in and you know serve some of the capacity, but Australia basically said we don't want that. In the airline term, it's called fifth freedom rights, and fifth freedom basically refers to when there's an international route that doesn't start nor end in the operating airline's home country. So because this wasn't a Singapore to U.S. flight through Australia, this was a just purely Australia to U.S. flight. Australia said no, and a big reason for that was because Qantas played a big role to lobby the government and say that they don't want increased competition that right, this right. was so this not is... good for the Australian economy gotcha uh, gotcha so they want the people pre- more like this is preferential treatment lah, is what you're saying yeah I mean I'm wondering if, if there would be similar arguments made for airlines that fly out of Singapore right I think we don't have as much of a sway just because we want to be seen as an international hub I think it also speaks to SIA's role as a major player in the airlines industry right they definitely felt a bit threatened if SIA was to come so I think that was one big thing as well so let's also talk about another major episode that happened in SIA's history which was the A380 campaign yes yes yes. this was pretty big headline news back in the day this happened in September of 2000 so this is a good 20 years ago uh, where SIA announced an order for 25 uh, Airbus A380s the US $8.6 $8.6 billion order comprised a firm order of 10 aircrafts with options on another 15 airframes. Uh, this order was confirmed by SQ on 12 July 2001. So about, you know, a couple of, maybe like seven months later, no, actually almost a full year later. Um, and well, in January 2005, the airline unveiled the slogan, first to fly the A380, experience the difference in 2006. So all, there was, they were generating a lot of hype for this uh, to promote itself as the first airline to take delivery on the A380-800, 
which was expected to take place in the second quarter of 2006. However, in June 2005, Airbus confirmed that due to unforeseen technical problems, initial deliveries of the Airbus 380 would be delayed up to six months, uh, with the first read now stated for November 2006. Uh, the announcement was obviously, you know, Singaporeans them, them said, right? Uh, uh, the announcement was met with fury by SIA's chief executive officer at the time, Chu Chun Seng, who threatened to sue Airbus, saying Airbus took some time to acknowledge the delay in uh, timetable for the A380's entry into service. Uh, he would have expected, and quote, more sincerity. It's like, you imagine doing all this marketing hype, and then after which, uh, the guy says, hey, actually, no launch, bro. Of course, you'll be, you'll be a bit damn sien, right? Uh, he first stated that, and this is a Chu Chun Seng, he further stated that SIA will be turning its attention to Boeing instead, since it will be receiving the Boeing 777 before the A380. Nevertheless, SIA had indicated that this would not affect its promotional campaign, and in February 2006, uh, the first A380 in full Singapore Airlines livery was flown to Singapore, where it was displayed at the Asian Aerospace Exhibition 2006. On 14 June 2006, Singapore Airlines placed an initial order for the Boeing 787 Dreamliner as part of its future aircraft expansion. And this order of about 20 of them, and rights for 20 more, this order came one day after Airbus announced that the 380 Super Jumbo would be delayed by another six months. So Airbus just having a slew of production issues. And uh, not only that, but then the third delay came in on uh, 3rd October of that year, uh, pushing the initial delivery of the first A380 to October 2007. That's... That's almost like a two-year delay. Yeah. What's really interesting about this is that they really play the rivalry between Airbus and Boeing off yeah. each other. Yeah. So first of all, if you're not sure what was the big deal about the A3A, this is currently continues to be the world's largest passenger aircraft, double-decker. I remember the first time I got an A380, it was a family trip and my dad was super excited about it. And he purposely booked the second story of the aircraft, right? Because he was flying on a double-decker. <laughs> so you walk up the stairs. Why, yeah, why would you sit? Uh, well, you, you actually don't walk up the stairs because when you board the aircraft, they just make sure that the entrance is directly on the second Oh, right, floor. right, 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 right. right. Yeah. The sky bridge, right? Like, you just need the sky bridge straight into the, I guess, the second deck. Yeah. Interesting. So it, it was a major thing, and I think the Singapore Airlines really wanted to be the first airline to fly the A380, wanted to be, again, add to the pride and joy of Singapore as a, as a country, but... Airbus, like really just flopping on its timelines, kind of made it difficult for Singapore Airlines to do that. And by association, Singapore Airlines looked bad as well by the fact that they had to keep delaying the launch. Yeah, oh no, this not only was it rivalries, but it was about uh, putting in a lot of effort to try to be the first. <laughs> so yeah, we went, we really did double down on like being. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna have the state of the art things within our within our fleet. And every single time you're, you're spending marketing dollars and that's, it might seem very small because you're thinking, well, oh, you know, these guys make a lot of money, but yeah, they also spend a lot of money uh, for these kind of marketing campaigns, not just locally, but overseas as well. To not be able to deliver is always, well, them no face, uh, as they say. Yeah. So let's, let's fast forward a bit. In 2012, what happened was that the air travel industry was changing quite drastically, right? right. There was a lot more middle-class customers from not just the countries that have been developed to, to this point, but also developing countries like China, uh, India, a lot of the countries in ASEAN. As a response to this trend, as well as the overall downward pressure on prices globally, Singapore Airlines actually launched a low-cost airline called Scoot. Yay! So... 
Yeah, so Scoot was a fully owned subsidiary of Singapore Airlines. It launched flights on 4th June 2012 on medium and long haul routes from Singapore, predominantly to China and India. So the target audience that I was mentioning just now. Its fleet consisted of mostly Boeing 777 aircraft that it just got from Singapore Airlines. And it transitioned its fleet over time to 787, which were more optimal for low cost, medium to long haul flights. Mm-hmm. Then in July 2017, Tiger Air, which was another regional low-cost airline, was officially merged through Scoot and it took on the Scoot brand. So now Scoot is basically called Scoot Tiger Air Private Limited. Yeah. So this was really a response to to changing trends and making sure that it took on the low-cost travel market, which mm-hmm. uh, Elliot, you and I, we use a lot. <laughs> yeah, the budget carriers, I mean... So when budget carriers first started, obviously, you know, a lot of teething issues, uh, even back in 2012, right, uh, it had a very bad rep, uh, not only because for you know, the fact that it was, it was, uh, you know, termed budget flights, but generally it didn't have um, the infrastructure and the efficiency that it has now. And I think the mergers actually helped quite a bit. Beforehand, you would actually uh, find it hard, I would, I would say, um, to find specific flights that you want uh, to local areas. But now with the merger, not only has their fleet grown, but that gives you more options to travel to uh, more isolated areas. If you think about companies like Air Asia, for example, Air Asia now um, allows you to travel all the way into uh, Kyoto. I think Scoot does a great play. It goes all the way to Australia now. Yeah, it goes to Greece. It goes to Hawaii. Another major thing that happened was that Singapore Airlines took on the role of title sponsor for the Singapore Grand Prix. So oh. before Singapore Airlines, it was, was it Singtel? Really? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Singtel Grand Prix yeah. back in the day. Correct, correct. Yeah. yeah. So Singtel was the first sponsor and a big part of it was just promoting Singtel as a major telecom brand and lifestyle brand. But once Singtel ran its course, the F1 basically opened up the role of title sponsor again and Singapore Airlines took on because, I mean, it just made a lot of sense, right? Because if people were ardent followers of the F1 and they wanted to come see the Singapore Grand Prix, who should they take? Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 It got bundled and stuff. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there'll be any F1 Grand Prix this year. No. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think there will be. Uh, even though in April uh, of this year, SIA did announce they will continue to sponsor the event until next year. So, you know, even though this year nothing's happening, we'll still have them back on board next year. Singapore Airlines has basically been the F1 Grand Prix title sponsor for including this year six years, right? Since 2014. Uh, and before that, Singtel had done it from 2008. So so that's that's a major milestone in being able to carry that brand in Singapore. That's interesting. Speaking of which, we should definitely do an episode on the Singapore Grand Prix. Yeah, <laughs> I think be- that makes sense. That makes sense. We can talk. Uh, I'm not a big, I've been to the Grand Prix once. <laughs> Like, not, not for the concert, but, like, just yeah. to watch the Grand Prix. Maybe we should get Lewis Hamilton to come as a guest for that episode. You, you try, you try, you... <laughs> <laughs> That was, that was good. That was good. So let's quickly touch on COVID-19. Okay. I think Great. this is an ongoing thing. Unfortunately, as COVID-19 hit, Singapore Airlines really got badly affected. Yeah. There were They had to scale back flights. They had to cut capacity. And in March of this year, they announced they would have to reduce their capacity of up to 50% of previously scheduled flights. There was a gradual reduction. There was a big 
scared that actually Singapore Airlines may go under. And that was when the Deputy Prime Minister Heng Siew Kiat had to come out in the second stimulus package and announce that there would be additional support, not just for the aviation industry, but specifically they would do what it takes to keep Singapore Airlines up, right? So there was a commitment that the Singapore Airlines is going to continue. The airline announced that they was raising $8.8 billion through a mixture of share and bonds, which would issue at a discount. Tomasic, of course, as the parent company, played a major role in this uh, capital raising so that Singapore Airlines could continue staying afloat even during this time. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of stuff that, that happened. I think we all saw that iconic picture where they had to park a lot of its aircraft in Alice Springs. But it's because they can't keep it in Singapore where there's no use for it. Basically, we can't we can't put it to... It's just some cost, I guess. Just sitting right. there and not doing anything for us. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the staff that were employed by SIA, they were redeployed uh, as volunteers or as part-time staff in places like the hospitals or as service teams in, in different parts of Singapore, according to where the needs were. And I think that just speaks to quality of service that the Singapore Airlines staff have that can be redeployed. I have friends who are part of this crew. They are definitely being redeployed all across. And it's, it's tough for them because they're so used to a lot of this being their major week, right? Just being able to travel and, and, and provide service. But now this is a major disruption to, to what they have. Yeah, but I, we've seen some of positivity in the news as well, uh, where, you know, there's a lot of praise going out for these SQ uh, service staff who have now moved into, you know, things like frontline health health work, uh, going to like care services. And the fact that I think it's it's been uh, it's been quite uplifting uh, to hear that some of, these are, some of these people went back even before they were redeployed as volunteers. That to me uh, speaks a lot about the commitment to service. If anything, yeah. it, you know, this is it's good brand building. I can I can say that for sure. Like if you wanna if you wanna put SQ in a good spotlight, like this this move did a lot for them, at least in the local yeah. local eyes. I w- I would definitely say SQ has continued to stand at the ground and be proud throughout all of this. I personally don't think this is the end in any ways for SQ. <laughs> no and, way, you know, no while we're doing this episode, we're really in the heat of it. Uh, this is a, a brand that all a lot of us have very intimate memories with. That iconic phrase when we land in Singapore, right on an SQ flight, it says, to all Singaporeans, welcome home. It just hits you in the fields. Yeah. And people are looking forward to that, yeah. uh, to hearing that once more. I, I always I, I always wish though they say, hey, balik kampung, you know, like... <laughs> Like that would be so much more on brand, but hey, you know, but I do get where you're coming from, where they say like, yeah, you know, welcome home. It really feels really good. It feels super yeah. good. Yeah. So, so there's a lot more to watch. I think this gives us an appreciation of where Singapore Airlines is and maybe even a measure of where it will be able to go. It's definitely weathered the storms with us before as a country mm. and we'll get through this hopefully as well. Cool. Well, this was an interesting episode. I think we definitely learned a lot about our national carrier. Yeah, a lot more history than just like money <laughs> being pumped in. Yeah, not just history, also culture. And, and cultural, cultural significance, yes. Cool. Well, if you have any more suggestions on what we should be talking about, feel free to email us or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. Do continue to listen, share, subscribe to all of our podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we hope to hear from you soon. My name is Rovik. 